is back for life a nickname for my knackers. Is it Mr. T who's the character or be a Baracus? In episode 283, Ollie espoused his first conspiracy theory of 2014. Well, the first we could broadcast. (laughs) (laughs) Listener Joseph has written in Mm. to explain your qualms about Christopher Lee's lack of close-ups in The Hobbit Part 1. Okay, I did specify explicitly that I didn't care, but, you know, maybe I will care when I hear the answer. Yes, Okay. he says, when filming The Hobbit, Christopher Lee actually filmed his scenes in Pinewood Studios in Britain, not in New Zealand, and was added into the scene with Kate Blanchett and Ian McKellen. Well, that actually is very interesting. That's a good explanation. So I guess he's quite old and New Zealand yeah. is quite far away. It's a really long flight. So they wanted him in the film, so they did it that way. And actually, the reason I like that uh, bit of feedback, Joseph, is you have affirmed my own intelligence to me because I noticed <laughs> that from watching it. Congratulations. I noticed just from watching I hadn't read any fan forums. I didn't know that. I watched the scene. And I thought, isn't that weird? You can't see Christopher Lee's you face smelt, very much. What's smelt, going on? You smelt something was up. Exactly. You just didn't know what. I did. Also, so apropos of last episode, Stephen has written in to say, I don't think you've ever had so many stupid questions in one episode before. I have nothing more to add. Well then, Stephen, you can hold yourself responsible for the questions you think are so stupid, which happenstance I disagree with, because if you don't send in sensible questions, where are we supposed to get sensible questions from in your esteem? There's no such thing as a stupid question, only a stupid podcaster. I also suspect that Stephen hasn't worked his way through the entire archive of 170 previously available episodes at answermethisstore.com. We've done What is the Point of a Lamp? (laughs) (laughs) Where do chairs come from? I think that was a low point. (laughs) No, chairs are only a low point at a shiver, Martin. Everyone knows that. Um, Now, sometimes it's hard to know when we're actually recording the episode, what is the question that's going to stick in our listeners' minds afterwards? What's the one that's going to be the landmark question of that episode? But I think it's safe to say you are about to hear the question of episode 284. Brace yourself. It is from Greg in Baghdad. He says... My name is Greg, and I'm currently living and working in Iraq. That's where Baghdad is kept. That's right. Well, my girlfriend is working in Malawi. Ooh, long-distance relationship and a half. We both listen to your podcast, and I'd like to surprise her with the following question. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. Will Nora in Malawi marry me? Wow. I think we've had lots of questions about marriage over the years, haven't we? And lots of questions about proposing, lots of questions about weddings. We've never actually had someone say over our airwaves, if you can call a podcast an airwave. Interwaves. Interwaves. Will you marry me? It's a very special moment. It is special. I feel quite overcome. I'm also curious to know, uh, Greg and Nora, assuming Nora does say yes, will the relatives be asked to come to Malawi or Iraq? (laughs) Malaria pills uh, or um, a shield? Maybe they'll have a destination wedding. Yes, I think that's probably for the best. (laughs) How's Kashmir looking this time of year? (laughs) Uh, But yeah, good luck. Good Good luck, luck. Greg. We're all rooting for you, Greg. And Nora, if it's a yes... Please call in with your yes. Skype answer me this with the yes. And if it's a no, then please detail your reasons yeah. <laughs> well time for a question of fashion now it's from claire age 28 and a half from oxford who says helen answer me this why don't more people wear balaclavas i often get a very cold nose and chin but do not want the social judgment associated with wearing such an accessory well you've answered your own question haven't you claire the reputation of the balaclava has been rather damaged by burglars 
yeah. bank robbers, yeah. murderers, yeah. terrorists. I think when it comes to brand ambassadors, the IRA are not the best, really. Um, I, I disagree with her use of language, though. Social judgment. It's not really a social judgment so much as people cowering in fear for their lives. I mean, that's the point, isn't it? You see a balaclava, yeah. you think someone's up to no good. I think people naturally are alarmed when they can't see your face because you take so many cues from someone's facial expression. Mm. It's why also when you see a woman wearing a, a full coverage hijab, I think often just people act like there isn't a human under there at all. It's more just like a, a walking hijab. The balaclava is effectively a ski mask, isn't it? It's for people yeah. in really cold places to cover as much of their face as possible. And there used to be many more options, many more types, many more fashions. Yeah. But over time, it's dwindled down to the balaclava covering everything. Well, Actually, or, or the open face. Well, Those yeah. still exist. Well, yeah, but they're called something else. They're called ski masks or whatever. I wonder if actually, if you wanted a sort of friendly, approachable balaclava, maybe go to a ski specialist. Mm, and and get, get brightly coloured yeah, one. Yeah, a pink one with snowflakes on it. Oh, I've got an even better idea. If you can find a supplier, get an adult-sized baby's bonnet. Covers your cheeks, covers your chin. It's probably mm. made out of uh, pale yellow wool. No one's going to find that terrifying. It then is, rob a bank! It is. <laughs> Here's another question of fashion from a man who wishes to remain anonymous. Uh, and you will shortly find out why. Uh, he says, I am a man in my late 20s who has recently switched from wearing boxer shorts... To wearing ladies' knickers. Well, it's cheaper. Boxer shorts are ever so expensive. Is that right? Mm. How much is a pair of decent knickers? Well, decent, I don't know, but you can get adequate <laughs> ones like three for a fiver. The, the, your really? knickers three for a fiver. I could not say about my current ones. Because they're, they're so old, it's, they're, yeah, uh, they're no longer currently available? From uh, the pre-decimal era. <laughs> uh, Actually, my dad does have underpants from the pre-decimal era, it's true. Uh, well, anyway, uh, our anonymous contributor continues, I prefer ladies' knickers uh, as they are more comfortable, both in style and the material used. Really? Where I, is I, he getting these knickers from that are not like made of itchy lace or something? Uh, yeah. I enjoy being able to wear something more colourful and pretty than boring men's underwear. Aww. Yeah, now... now I think we can all get behind that comment. Yeah. Getting on to the real reason here. Although Martin has some very colourful and pretty box shorts, don't you, Martin? Yeah, I try and choose pretty patterns. I have no particular desire to wear any other articles of women's clothing. It's just an underwear thing. Uh, My girlfriend is entirely not bothered by this. You better not be taking her pants, though. I was wondering about that. Mm. I bet she would be bothered if you were doing that. There might be different sizes. You need extra ballroom. Uh, I had no reason to suspect my girlfriend uh, would be bothered by this, so I was entirely confident in telling her about it. Sounds like you have a good relationship. It does. Entirely confident is... Uh, stronger than I would expect Uh, my friends and co-workers however it's a different story that's because they're your friends and co-workers I think it'd be odd to talk about your pants to those people I'm completely unsure how my friends and co-workers would react to this news I reckon they would go why is anonymous guy talking about his pants to us Mm, not not my business Uh, on the one hand it is none of their business Mm -hmm. on the other hand should they discover this fact about me accidentally well like you get run over by a bus or something like your mum says always wear clean underwear in case you get run over by a bus yeah well no actually I was thinking if if you were standing by one of those trough shaped urinals that didn't have the dividers Mm. and you were standing there with your willy poking out a side of women's underwear I think they may may notice and find it a bit weird do you think you could you could pass them off as, uh, as briefs well, it depends what they're made out of. If they're lace, I imagine most men's briefs are not made of lace. He continues, should they discover this fact about me, I'm concerned that having concealed it from them, <laughs> as if they deserve to know, it may well cause them to believe it is something to be ashamed of. I believe mm. it should be seen as no different from a woman wearing clothes tailored for a man. 
which is fairly commonplace. Very true. Uh, He says, I have various personality traits also that would be conventionally associated with women. Uh, Well, you're amongst friends here. Uh, And aside from some (laughs) (laughs) occasional piss-taking, which is not a problem, people generally accept these qualities of mine. Uh, So should this knicker-wearing be any different? Helen, answer me this. Should I tell people or not? That is quite a complicated issue because I don't think you're under any obligation to share this or that you have any reason to feel like you have to hide it. But I do think it's odd to start telling people about your underwear. Yes. It is, isn't it? It is, yeah. If he's worried that they all think that concealment equals guilt, then at this mysterious point of them finding out, he just has to act totally blasé. Like, yeah, yeah, it's it's not a big deal. I don't even know why you're mentioning it. Yeah, yeah. why make such a big fuss about it? It's obviously your problem. Yeah, these are my pants. Yeah. And that kind of cuts the curiosity dead. Actually, I'm not sure it does. I I can think of another scenario where they may see... Uh, and that's when you're wearing a baggy pair of jeans and instead of seeing boxer shorts poking over the top they see a thong i think that is legitimate office banter territory actually that's why i think you have to brazen it out but i don't think that means you have to volunteer the information so that they find out if that happens Mm. they're not going to feel like oh why have you concealed this from us that won't be their thought process they'll just think oh my god john's wearing a thong I think they're not going to think why didn't he tell us they'll yeah. know why you didn't tell them because they think it's embarrassing in order for it not to be a big deal just make it seem humdrum commonplace and perhaps the best way to do this is to wear quite ugly old lady knickers mm. rather than sexy young lady knickers and uh, they probably are more comfortable aren't they probably are keep your navel warm in winter yeah. <laughs> I've got a question email your question Olympics are over now, but the legacy lives on in the form of questions such as this one from Becca, who says, after watching various Olympic skating routines, I have to wonder, Ollie, answer me this. Is there any Andrew Lloyd Webber song that can't be skated to? <laughs> um, I assume she's asking this question because a couple won gold skating to Jesus Christ Superstar. Did they? Uh, which was deemed to be an unusual choice. You can pretty much make ice dancing fit any mood of music well people say that I actually disagree there was a meme online that I saw of people uploading hip hop tracks over the top of Sochi Mm. dancing and I didn't think it did work actually you could see that the timing wasn't quite right the jumps have to coincide with the big swells yeah yeah yeah. but that's because they're doing it in post but I'm saying you could plan a skating routine to virtually anything that's true well I think there are two reasons why Andrew Lloyd Webber's music is particularly popular well three actually right okay sit down everybody this will take some time (laughs) well no the the one I just added at the end there almost as a postscript was simply just that he's well known all over the world because he's had lots of successful hits and he's he's pretty much the most well known internationally modern classical composer so I mean that's the obvious reason apart from John Williams or something I think a lot of people are going to take issue with your use of the word classical there well, uh, that, musicals you know, are not classical defend- music. Well, I disagree. I think it is in the classical style. I think it is modern uh, classical, classical music. Classical style is different. Well, uh, yeah, classical but- music, you are opening a can of classical worms. Okay, fine, Helen. Well, I'm prepared to sit on that can of worms and have people come and wiggle around. Them from me. Um, that was the third thing. But the, the two reasons are, I think, that Andrew Lloyd Webber is being chosen a lot. One, he marked himself out as a skating favourite by doing Starlight Express. Now, mm. I know that's roller skates, not ice skating. There is certain overlap in the kind of moves you're able to do, though, skateboard. I, I think if any modern composer aligns themselves with skating of any kind, I think skaters are going to warm to that writer. Why isn't Avril Lavigne more popular? 
Good point. The other reason I would say is that his most famous tunes are the big sweeping classical ballads. Yeah, you can get a lot of uh, rink work done to memories. Eh? That's it. So memory, music of the night, don't cry for me, Argentina, the perfect year. They're all slow paced, epic, grand strings. That is basically what people look for in skating. When they go for classical composers, they go for Tchaikovsky and stuff, don't they? They want that kind yeah, of sound. Yeah, Although... I would say that uh, it's quite a risky business choosing songs from musicals, especially where you're using the lyrics, because I think often the lyrics tell a story that the dance isn't telling. So I saw a pair dance to a little Kandra and Ebbs medley. They did uh, Roxy from Chicago and Mine Lieber Hair from Cabaret. Uh-huh. And yet they were doing quite a jaunty number that wasn't really to do with being a woman prisoner or a sort of prostitute. I think it's true to say that the songs from musicals have more of an association with their original narrative than pop songs in general, where people are used to reinterpretation or not listening to the lyrics very carefully. But on the other hand, I don't see why the same rule can't apply. A song's a song, you know, if you can reinterpret it, so it isn't about that. What you're pointing out is that they weren't successful at reinterpreting it, if you like. Well, I think if they'd taken the lyrics off and just had the instrumental, it would have been fine. Maybe, although there was a girl, 15-year-old girl, who uh, skated to the theme from Schindler's List. A lot of people say that was inappropriate. Now, that doesn't have any words to it. Did anyone do the Requiem for a Dream theme? Um, <laughs> um, but actually, you know, I would fight her corner on that one. Um, because although I think you could say it is crass to do that, she was wearing a red jacket as well. So people were saying this was a visual reference to oh. the girl in Shinner's mm. List. Did that then segue into a Don't Look Now tribute? Um, <laughs> but actually, I think if you take the argument that skating is an art form, and I think it probably is, even though it's not one that I particularly enjoy, then I don't see why you can't reinterpret serious subjects in every art form, like music in the first place if, if you said that musicals could only deal with trivial subjects then you'd never have lame is would you i think it is open for reinterpretation i think maybe the red garment is too literal it took it too far yeah yes but anyway in answer to the question i can think of a few andrew lloyd Webber songs that wouldn't work uh, for skating okay um, and they're mostly from joseph um, <laughs> and the, the reason for that is the thing is it was written for a primary school right yeah and it sounds like that mm-hmm. all of those songs go 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 joseph you know and if. i close my eyes their childhood sing-alongs no. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was there a whole childhood verse for that in your yep. school how did it go after that she stuck her tongue in whoa uh-huh. oh, then it's what happened me. next it's got to come <laughs> yeah. to a climax and the bell rang and we had to go into class <laughs> um i suppose it was any hole will do or something like that probably any i'm not sure we were that, that clever mm. yeah uh, as we're saying you know th- th- these work in in various reinterpretive forms but i don't think they work for skating so i would say there's your answer is that because they're too juvenile too banal yes right um not epic not epic exactly and equally there are other parts of lloyd webber's canon which are not epic um which also don't work very well like jeeves the musical he wrote with alan akeborn based on the work of pg woodhouse now obviously uh that in and of itself is is it's not a flaw of the music it's Mm. deliberately trying to be twee and english sounding probably not many russian ice skaters that would want to dance to that i can't imagine it being sporty there's a lot of ukulele in it you know it's just not appropriate that's a bit twee isn't it you don't want you don't want the twee indie skating to start with ukulele music except i kind of do but then i'm not a skating fan hey this is greg from jarrell helen and ollie answer me this has anybody ever competed in both the Summer and Winter Olympics? Yes, uh, quite a lot of people have, um, but not many have won medals. I was going to say, there's competing, and then there's competing successfully, isn't there? Yeah, apparently only four have won medals at both winter and summer. Wow. But the general overlap seems to be with sprinters doing bobsleigh, because uh, bobsleigh involves sprinting, Mm. and then jumping into a bobsleigh yes and actually i mean obviously you need you need a lot more skill on the ice than i've displayed in my life uh, but <laughs> a lot same, of skill at sprinting <laughs> yeah but at the same time uh, yeah 
you don't need to be an expert skier or anything do you it's basically yeah. running and Where, then jumping yeah. which well, is what you do anyway whereas i'd imagine a lot of the disciplines you do have to devote all year round to learning them yeah and from the age of four basically been planning yeah. to do it yeah some of those winter olympic sports are absolutely insane the skeleton the what? skeleton now that's the one where you're just face down on a mat that Head doesn't first. even have brakes oh you thought the luge looked a bit safe did you <laughs> well let's spice this up a bit you know what's going to be in the next olympics fire skeleton yeah exactly ultimate skeleton <laughs> will the have a ice big melt before the they end, get down it? and drown <laughs> yeah oh but yeah. that is kind of you you are sort of watching to check that they finish as well not just that they do it but at the end can, can they slow down in time but that's what the whole winter olympics is like i was watching the biathlon which was quite boring because it was uh, men skiing around the same course repeatedly but then taking a massive gun off their backs and firing it oh yeah and skiing thought, and shooting one yeah if they fall over and that gun goes off it's a disaster i think they should shoot while they're skiing and from the hip <laughs> I think they should play snooker while skiing. I think that would be genuinely very challenging. I don't think it's that odd to think that athletes who have excelled in one discipline could excel in another discipline. No, well, fitness, dedication, yeah. these things are transferable skills. Yeah. If you're doing something like um, a summer sport, then you're going to have a lot of winter months to waste mm. learning how to do snow sports. But I do think it's more odd, as did many people, when people like Vanessa May pop up as Olympians. What? Yeah, people competing for countries that they weren't born in. I find that very interesting oh, because... Oh, that's like saying Britain should have won oh, yes, Eurovision I'm with kidding. Katrina and the waves. <laughs> when it was here, 2012, and the discussion came around to Mo Farah, mm. everyone was like, of course he's British, he's chosen to live here, he loves it here, he's trained here. Everyone loves a winner. Right, yeah, exactly. And I took that side, I took that populist, I genuinely believed it. I thought, of course Mo Farah should represent Britain, nothing wrong with that. But then when I'm watching the Olympics impartially, and I'm not backing anyone watching the winter olympics and you see someone from the jamaican bobsleigh team doing canada mm. and the reason is they offered him citizenship because jamaica didn't have the funding for bobsleigh as documented in cool runnings and also the kickstarter campaign from earlier this year i oh, really was there one yep um, it was cool runnings 2.0 when you see that and the voiceover the commentator actually says of course he's been uh, living in canada for the last six years having failed to get funding in his home country i thought well He's not proud to be Canadian, is he? He's gone to Canada because they funded his sport. Actually, I'd be a bit pissed off if I was a Canadian bobslayer. Well, there must be quite a lot as well because Canada yeah. has a lot of cold. They excel at that. And actually, we'd like, see, it was really interesting seeing an outside example. When it was Mo Farah, I used to get very defensive. Yeah. When I was just looking at it, like not having thought about it in advance, I was like, actually, that yeah, probably is wrong, isn't it? Has Mo Farah got a British passport? Is it on something as simple as that? Yes, it's on citizenship, yeah. Right. Yeah, He's, you've got to have lived here for a certain number of years. Mm. Um, but it, but they say it's not relevant where you're born. And because he's been here since a child, people get very emotional about it. Or we brought him up. Well, but actually, okay, that is different. If you've been yeah. here since you're a child and you consider that this country is your home country. Yeah, but if you get to the point where you're obviously going to be an international sports person when you're 14 and then decide which country to go and live in because they'll let you enter the Olympics... Yeah. Okay, my dad, who spent his first nearly 30 years in South Africa, but has spent the subsequent over 40 years in Britain, if he were now to compete in the septuagenarian mm. Olympiads... Mm -hmm. That would be a great show. In chainsawing. <laughs> Just the opening Follow ceremony would be... In fact, the opening ceremony would be exactly the same, wouldn't it? It would still be Paul McCartney. Unfortunately, he's got a bad <laughs> knee at the moment because he was jumping up and down on some sticks and hurt himself. <laughs> so he's off games. Get but, well soon, Zach. But if he was looking like a good prospect... Should he be performing for England? He has a British passport. Britain. Or for South Africa? Um, that's a very good question. Mm -hmm. I think it does come down to the period of time. I think we were all agreed on that. So I think actually because he's lived here for long enough, he's decided to raise children here and he didn't come here to enter the septuagenarian Olympics. Well, he might have. He's a very forward planner. <laughs> he's playing the long game. 
I think, but then equally, equally, mm. I do think he should be allowed to say, no, I'm a proud South African and I want to represent South Africa if he wanted to. It's not really in his character. No, but that's not the point. that He could. Mm. So do you think there should be an, an age limit? Anyone who wasn't in Britain when they learnt how to walk shouldn't be allowed to compete in sports <laughs> for Britain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to today's intermission. Brought to you by Answer Me This, Sports Day. I think I found a reason as well that might account for why the Jews are traditionally not known as being good at sports. If Greek-speaking Jews took part in the events at the time and they had to be naked, their lack of foreskins... Uh, were a cause for ridicule. So often they wouldn't compete just because they didn't want to be jeered at for not having Sorry, what hack brain theory does that bring that through to the 21st century and why Israel doesn't do very well in the Olympics? Well, because they haven't had like uh, two and a half thousand years to practice. Mm. Maybe that's more dynamic, not having a foreskin. Yes, exactly. I suppose it depends on the sport, doesn't it? Well, maybe that's why uh, the Greeks didn't want to compete against the Jews. They're like, they've got an unfair advantage. <laughs> and sometimes the Jews, to avoid getting teased, they would wear a fake foreskin made out of lamb's guts. Wow. Mm. I don't even know where you'd buy lamb's guts. Butcher? Yeah, they use them a lot for sausage making, haggis skin. Mm. You could just buy a haggis and then empty it out and then trim it to foreskin. Oh, brilliant. Something to eat and a circumcision guard. Why are you putting your penis into a haggis? This is a sentence you never want to hear your girlfriend say. Well, there's a perfectly reasonable explanation this time, dear. (laughs) It's so I won't be laughed at, obviously. To hear the rest of Answer Me This Sports Day or any of our other albums, visit AnswerMeThisStore.com. Listeners, harness the power of your voice to ask us a question via our phone line by dialing the following number. 0208123 Or by Skyping Answer Me This. Let's hear who's been in touch. Hi, this is Danny from Stoke. Uh, Helen and Ollie and Martin, answer me this. I'm driving my car now, and all around the tops of door windows are handles. Now, I can see why they're useful for hanging coats, where they've got the coat hook fit, but I can't see any practical use for holding on. It, it just makes the blood run from your hand and hurts your arm. Why the fuck are they there? Just because there's a handle there doesn't mean you have to grab it the whole time you're in the car. Um, I don't think the point is that you have your hand on them the whole time. I think the point actually is uh, you will understand, Danny, when you get to the age of, say, 70, why they're there. You need to haul yourself out of that car. They are known as assist handles. And they are are for the infirm. So yes, Well, not even the infirm. A lot of us might need a little Gradients of the infirm, the elderly. Maybe Danny's going to ring in next week. Why is it the side of the bath got a handle on it? I'm not (laughs) driving the bath. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, they do all have little coat hooks on because that's an extra function, isn't it? Why not? Surely it's a bit dangerous to block out your window as well with a hanging jacket. Yes, it is. Uh, People do it all the time, including me. But yes, it does reduce your visibility. Completely covers your blind spot. I don't think they should be called handles, really, because the handles are called handles, aren't they? As in the door handles to open the doors. Those aren't handles. They don't open anything. They're fixed. But the wheels that the car drives on with the tyres... Uh, are not like the steering wheel, yet they're both called wheels, Ollie. <laughs> That's true. You're going to have to handle that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, here's another question of cars. It's from Adam, age 28, from London, who says, 
Me and my girlfriend are going to... My girlfriend and I. I'm just reading it as it is, Helen. Yeah. I'm not passing judgment. Well, I'm sick in my mouth when you get pronouns wrong, listeners. Uh, <laughs> me and my girlfriend are going to Los Angeles in November for a holiday. Lovely. Uh, and I'm thinking of renting a car to drive around the city. Well, you will have to. Los yeah. Angeles being a driving city. I think that's right. Stealing yeah. a car being wrong. Um, <laughs> buying a car being excessive for a holiday. Uh, and driving up to Las Vegas. Uh, as much as I am excited about this trip, I'm also very nervous. Uh, I've only ever driven on UK roads. So, Helen, answer me this. Is there any way I can prepare or practice for driving on the wrong side of the road without breaking the law? What about playing one of the driving games, like Grand Theft Auto? They're set on the uh, right-hand drive, usually. I, I, I think it's fair to say that Grand Theft Auto doesn't exactly incentivise responsible driving. That's the way you play it, Ollie. Mm. You could just uh, <laughs> stick to the speed limit, stop at the lights, yeah. all of that. And, and drop the drugs package with the police. Yeah, yeah. You, maybe you could. I and don't know. Go see some museums, perhaps. <laughs> I think actually, though, and I'm not a driver, but uh, if you're driving in a car where your driving seat is on the left-hand side, it will seem relatively natural to be in the right-hand lane. I think there are other things about driving in America that will confuse you, like yeah. the fact that you're allowed to make turns during red lights, but only sometimes, and the fact that other drivers drive right up your ass. They don't observe the seven-car lengths thing there. You could. Uh... Perhaps book a racetrack, if you're very serious yeah, about this. Yeah, that's a good idea. Or a, a large private estate. That'd probably be kind of fun anyway. Wouldn't they just have a, like a, a trip to France for a weekend? And, it's actually quite a sensible suggestion, yeah. It's, and a little mini break, because November is a long time to wait for a holiday. Yeah, and or, stock up on wine whilst you're there. Or Get could, some could yeah. you go to an empty car park in the middle of the night and practice making turns? but the opposite way to how you usually would. No. What I would say, this isn't very helpful, Adam, if you have actually booked your holiday already and your itinerary is LA, then Vegas. Are you going to tell him to go up the Pacific Coast Highway because as a starter road trip, that's much better than driving to Vegas because that's a pretty boring road? Uh, no, although that's true, but I, w- I wasn't really approaching this from a tourist point of view. Were well, you going to say go to Vegas via Joshua Tree because that's much more interesting than the motorway? Well, that is interesting too. No, yep. I wasn't. Mm. Oh. I was going to work with his itinerary yep. and I was going to okay. say if your intention is LA, then Vegas, from a driving point of view you'd be much better off to fly into Vegas, learn to drive out there where it's really hard to screw up because there's basically two roads you're going to visit, and then drive to LA once you've had a few days' experience. Because actually, flying into one of the busiest city airports in the world, hiring a car when you've been awake for 18 hours... Suddenly going on an eight-lane motorway. (laughs) Yeah, and having been necking Baileys at 500 feet. Uh, it is not not every plane goes at 500 feet Ollie because that's usually a bad sign well whatever um, <laughs> and Bailey's is not an essential on an aircraft Bailey's for me is Bailey's. an essential on an aircraft don't drink and drive kids um, but I've done that before flying into Boston and it was it was dangerous like I'd, I was only half awake and I'd just been standing in the queue for two hours to rent a car and I was tired and it was raining and dark the problem with this plan Ollie is that uh, Adam you might not know this but if you rent a car in one state and drop it off in another you often have to pay £300 yeah, or thereabouts right, yeah. and that is not a fee that is necessarily included when you book true but again if you're going to pay that starting in Vegas is an easier place to learn to drive I would wager I actually find Vegas a bit of a faff to drive in LA is not that bad I mean the jet lag is the thing if you're mainly worried about the jet lag then just don't hire a car when you arrive get a taxi or a bus into wherever you're staying and pick up the car the next day when you're a bit more alert yes maybe that's that's sensible also also we're, we're focusing on the negative here you're going on a road trip in america road that's amazing trip! Um, the best of holidays it's great but uh, certainly do follow my advice about the pacific coast highway rather than going to vegas that is yeah that is a great trip yeah. But if you are in Vegas, go to the buffet at the Wicked Spoon in the Cosmopolitan. <laughs> go to the uh, Atomic Testing Museum. I'm not sure that is on most people's list when they first go to Vegas. It is now. 
the silicon roundabout's my favorite place to become a webpreneur would be really ace like that awesome guy tom who was my first friend on myspace we haven't kept in touch get your foot on the ladder to online success through squarespace build a site and get a free web address then hang around east london until you get hired in the u.s mountain view is calling google have free buffet Thank you very much, Squarespace, for bankrolling this episode of Answer Me This. Yes. Nice of you. You've been very kind to us once again. Thank you, Uh, Squarespace. And if you would like to be kind to yourselves, listeners, uh, and create an awesome website for your business or your project or your school... Thing. Or just your, your weird internal monologue yeah, yeah, yeah. brought just, out for the internet to just enjoy. Just a collection of your selfies, because people are that self-absorbed these days, aren't they? Uh, go to squarespace.com, you get a free trial, and then you can develop a website that will work across numerous platforms, like, uh, like you know, iPad and, and mobile and stuff. Uh, and then if you like it and you want to pay for it, then you just uh, use the code ANSWER2 and you'll get 10% off. Sounds all right to me. Here's a question from Ross in Blenheim, New Zealand. You know, usually when people clarify a country, I'm like, they don't need to know that, know where Sydney is. But actually, Blenheim, I would have assumed Oxfordshire. I've assumed Ross lived in a palace. Yeah. <laughs> with a, a lovely model village and an amazing dinky railway I didn't and know, a butterfly house. <laughs> I didn't know there was a Blenheim in New Zealand. No, I didn't, but I've never been to New Zealand, so Neither has Christopher me. Lee. You've got that in common. <laughs> um, Except film Lord of the Rings yeah. in your face. Oh, that's true. He did, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, that's why he was able to specify with The Hobbit. No, fuck you. You come to me. <laughs> You're stuck with <laughs> me now. I'm Christopher fucking Lee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the wizard, Jackson. Do you want it or not um, right yes Ross says uh, Helen answer me this why is the place where highly qualified doctors perform complex surgical procedures called a theatre when the theatre is often the place where people with no qualifications end up meow <laughs> quite funny well Ross it's because operations used to take place in a room that was very much like a theatre in that the person having the surgery was on a table in the middle and then around them layers of seats like an amphitheatre so that uh, students could watch people with a taste for the gory could uh, have a look in this is before of course they realised that an aseptic environment was better for not killing the patient <laughs> yeah and, and before there was one born every minute style fixed rigs so that the whole nation could peer at home and say oh look an esophagus do you, do you think it could uh, occur though that the popularity of one born every minute begets a live show where a woman is giving birth surrounded by 200 paying punters it's unlikely but i wouldn't call that unthinkable would it, you it could be an art piece What's One Born Every Minute? Uh, it's one of these Channel 4 factual programmes where they set up cameras in a hospital so that you can see... So it's live births. Why do people want to watch that? That sounds gross. Have, you, people... have you not seen it? Why would I, I see that? I thought all women watch it. No. Why would I watch The Horror of War? I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. But every other woman I know watches it. I had to watch such I'll a video what, in I, school biology class and I, I'm sure that the technology has not changed. I know, yeah. Never wanted to eat a trifle again. I know, I'm with you. <laughs> uh, anyway, a theatre is just a term for a place where you watch things. It's a, it's from a Greek word that meant place for viewing. But I, it made me wonder why is um, the phrase theatre of war extant? What's that for? Because you wouldn't sit around on uh, rostrum seating watching people do wars, would you? Well, except in history plays, you sort of did, didn't you? Oh, so God, I wonder boy. if people were making the observation that uh, life mirrors art, art mirrors life. Yeah. And when you went yeah. to war, you said, oh, the theatre of war, because it's a bit yeah. like Richard II. And in places like the Colosseum, they, they reenacted battles. Yeah, yeah. And then real people died. So it's like a snuff theatre. Do, do you like watching gory war battle scenes on, no. on films and things? No. It's no. not really my thing. But... Blackadder's about as far as I'd go. <laughs> But uh, 
a lot of films, a lot of big epic type films, mm. like this Noah one that Russell Crowe's in that's coming out. Oh, uh, is that Darren Aronofsky? Yeah. So odd. Isn't it? I'm, I'm, it's either going to be appalling or amazing. It's got Russell Crowe in it, which means that whichever it is, I'm not going to go and watch it. Oh, really? Unless Just it, anti-crow? Yeah. Uh, is he playing a crow? <laughs> the animals went into by two. <laughs> <laughs> if, if that literal translation went for everyone, so Mike Back could play the bat. <laughs> that would be good. You'd have to find a lot of actors who would change their name to giraffe. I can't think of anyone who's famous with the surname Lion either. Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes. <laughs> anyway. Food for thought. Yes. So is Russell Crowe playing Noah? Yeah, of course he is. Or is he supplying the wood that makes the ark? What, what? <laughs> um, I'm referring to his acting style, of course. I think when you have a discussion with Russell Crowe's agent and you say, we've got a great script for you. It's a great script. It's great. Russell's going to be great in it. I think the question is, is Russell playing Jesus or God? And then <laughs> I think it was quite a stretch to get him to agree to play Noah, don't you? Yeah. My name's Steve from Kent. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. If Cinderella's slipper fitted so perfectly, why did it fall off? Has Steve never walked in a high-heeled shoe and got it caught between two paving slabs? So it's pulled off your foot. Is that what happens? Because then the question really is, if Prince Charming was so charming, how comes he threw a ball in a room with an unequal floor? Because it was the outside patio and uh, she's gone there to cool off and maybe set off some of those Chinese fire lanterns. (laughs) Maybe. I'm just speculating. I don't go to fancy parties. I think that it's plausible that a shoe that does fit her perfectly could fall off because a dancing shoe might not be designed to be attached to the foot that well in sprinting. Like, look at a lady's fancy shoe now. If it's like a court shoe without any buckles or straps, then... Mm you can lose it very easily well especially whilst dancing actually I mean think about it the other way what if it isn't a dance shoe what if it is a sort of walking uh, shoe uh, yes a parading yourself around shoe right and then she gets swept off her feet by charming goes for a hell of a boogie and actually does a few high flicking dance moves and loses it that way no but that's not how she loses it she loses it running off at the end because she knows she's about to turn back into a pauper oh yeah yeah and a man could never love a pauper (laughs) here is another question of entertainment from Sam from London who says Ollie answer me this is Seals kiss from a rose about drugs I never really gave it much thought until I noticed the lyric did you know when it snows my eyes become large is this a reference to pupils dilating when people snort drugs I'd never thought about it until literally now but Mm. um, that sounds plausible on the other hand sort of every popular song from the last 50 years could be about drugs it's either about Mm. drugs or it's mythologising a DJ or it's about something sexual Sometimes all three of these things. I mean, I suppose as much as I've ever thought about it before, it opens, there used to be a greying tower, alone on the sea. I suppose I always thought it was about Portland Bill. It's a very odd lyric, actually, isn't it? I'm, it looking, is, yeah. I'm looking at the it's supposed to, It's sort of, I mean, having talked about Cinderella, kind of fairy tale esque isn't it? Love remained a drug that's the high and not the pill. Right, so don't take pills, what? take coke. Seal knows how dangerous prescription drugs are and how many deaths they can lead to. Mm. You remain my power, my pleasure, my pain. Baby, to me you're like a growing addiction that I can't deny. Hmm. It's quite odd, isn't it? I've never thought about this song because it was re-released so many times and it's on so many Valentine's Love compilations. Yes, that now thinking that it's all about getting off your tits on something changes it, doesn't yeah. it? Because well, you want it to be just about getting off your tits on love. So do, is this song about drugs or what? <laughs> well, I haven't got a statement from Seal, but the forums that have been considering this song for nearly 20 long years <laughs> seem to feel that there is no interpretation bar the obvious interpretation except for the people who are going, oh, you think every song's about drugs? You think even heroin by Velvet Underground's about <laughs> drugs? Yeah. 
I didn't think it's about drugs. I think it's just still not being a particularly good lyricist and using addiction metaphors. That's true. The element of metaphor is something that is often overlooked in uh, even the most precise forums based on interpreting lyrics. Like, actually, mm. yes, it's a reference to drugs, doesn't but that doesn't like mean that he's not talking about love. Love giving him the same effect as drugs. As drugs it doesn't sound yeah. like it's very consistent either. Like, singing about lighthouses and singing about roses doesn't really make Maybe. much sense or hang well, but then, Yeah, but you see, but that's what people say. The people say, oh, but the whole thing's a big drug trip, so that's why it's inconsistent. Oh, oh. for God's sake. Like, <sighs> lighthouses and roses, this makes it sound like he's uh, wandering around a Victorian folly garden. <laughs> yeah, that's how it originally ended. In an English country <laughs> garden. Isn't it based on the work of Virginia Woolf? Actually, it's a tribute to Crosby, Stills and Nash. And uh, Seal wrote it while he was living in a squat in Kensal Green. Wow, that is... Mm. I don't know why that should be impressive. Lots of artists live in squats, but it is impressive when you go from that to soundtracking Batman Forever, isn't it? Rags to riches, Cinderella again. Did he lose his shoe? Remembering Seal videos at the time, I think he lost his shirt. Yeah. <laughs> there was a fashion for that in the 90s, wasn't there? Male solo singers. Yeah. Even Michael Jackson did it and you were not alone and no one wanted yeah. to see that torso. Billowing shirt, Billowing headband, shirt, yeah. Nips out. Yeah, which <laughs> doesn't really happen now, often, even with boy bands, often really. Often billowing trousers too. Yeah, like now those, that was a 90s thing. Having trousers that were loose enough to billow. They'll come back. Will they? The billowy trousers. <laughs> because they've been like Bieber Dropcotch trousers. Yes. It's only a couple of steps from the billowing trousers. Well, that's good for me because I've lost some weight recently. I've got a lot of trousers no. that previously fit me and are now billowing. Yeah, but they're just not the same as those sort of brightly coloured silk billowing trousers mm. with a massive waistband. Mm. Work on it. Mm. You could probably have them adjusted. <laughs> I might well do that. Or some of your old underpants, they'd probably billow because they're a thinner <laughs> fabric. Hands them in this. Hampton Court was Henry VIII's home. The O2 Arena was the Millennium Dome. Wasn't it? I went to see you in your room, but it had been turned into a weather spoon. So I ordered a two-for-one curry and a macaroon, but they don't sell macaroons. Do they? I just ate both curries, and now I regret that. Here's a question from Joe, who says, Helen, answer me this. Why are the first episodes of series called Pilots? It seems pretty random to me. Doesn't seem at all random to me. Okay, to me, I- I've never thought about it before. Oh, but no. Is it because... Oh, I don't want to know what's coming. What? Okay, okay. Do one of your hair-brained etymologies, because I think we should set up a Tumblr just for those. <laughs> well, wait, wait, well, first of all... No, don't you say, because you'll no. get it right, won't you? No, no, I'm just going to say... Yes, you stand will. down. It's not the first episode of the series. It, it's it's in preparation for a series. It's a tester. It's yes. a tester. Fine. So that is also that sometimes the first episode of a series. All right. All right, Martin. Can then become the first episode of a series. Settle. Fine. I think I don't. I mean, I don't know this. I'm just guessing. I'm just oh, guessing. Yeah. Why don't you just let me guess? Okay. Okay. I think it might be because like a pilot is at the front of the plane. It's going yeah. up front. It's the first ahead of everything else behind it. I.e., the passengers, the rest of the series. Is a pilot a little boat? Well, a pilot is lots of things. Oh, you get okay. a pilot light as well, yeah. don't you? So it's just yeah. the, the, the first exploratory leader of a thing. So actually, I'm kind of right. Uh, well, the pilot is the leader of the plane. I don't know if it really matters that they are physically in the front of a jumbo jet because they're also a pilot if they're in one of those weird planes where they're much further back. And that's true. They could be in the undercarriage of yeah. a plane like in the Second World War, firing guns. Do you have any favourite pilots that uh, either you've, you've seen and mm. thought, thank God that became one of my favourite series, or do you have any pilots that actually you've seen and thought, it's such a shame that didn't become a series? My most common response, Ollie, actually to pilots is to think, thank goodness they commissioned the series and the series was not that represented by the pilot because the pilot is not as good as the series. Like, say, Twin Peaks, New Girl. 
Um, yeah, but that's because the characters develop and, and things happen as it goes on. Yeah, but then the, but, by necessity, the first episode, even if it had been commissioned at the same time as the rest of it, you've got to establish things. Yeah, but some pilots are really good, like the pilot to Veronica Mars mm. or the uh, first episode of Breaking Bad. Well, Lost mm. is a really good example, I think. Cause that's actually, a pilot that is never as good afterwards, <laughs> is it? Yeah, I thought you were going to say that's a pilot who you wouldn't want flying your plane. Oh, that too. <laughs> but, but yeah, that it's almost like the whole of lost like the whole eight years of it or whatever was mm. really about the first five minutes of the first episode yeah and actually everything else is just the idea that follows isn't they, it? they wrote a check their imaginations couldn't cash yeah <laughs> that's right mm. um but that's a great pilot so they do exist sometimes yeah I, I i do i am interested in tv history when you read about pilots that happened and then they recast them or and something then the show didn't yeah 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 like um in homeland the sexy wife yes the, the one from v Yes. She was a different woman in the first pilot of Homeland. And did that woman have a no nudity clause in her contract so they had to get rid of her? <laughs> well, I think she was probably more like Damien Lewis's age and looked a bit more like Damien Lewis. Unacceptable. Yeah. Not, not like, like somebody who did conceivably have two teenage children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also those boobs. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So obviously that had to go. Or maybe it was somebody who objected to the way that character had been so massively underwritten. And then there's a whole pilot episode of Sherlock, mm. which has never been screened. You know that. They made a whole oh. feature-length 90 minute written 90. by Stephen Moffat and Mark Gattis whole thing same cast right. episode of Sherlock but the BBC looked at it and they were like this has the potential to be amazing and mm. this is just okay so mm. go away and remake it like this and they had a second go at it can you imagine how much money they wasted I mean worth it as it turns out but yeah. a bit of a risk isn't it I thought it was quite odd that the first series of 24 they had eight episodes commissioned even though the format requires you to go ahead mm. and commission a full 24 episode run a lot of money though isn't it it is but then you're like well we're commissioning a show that is over 24 hours of the day it's called yeah, yeah, yeah. 24 I know, it's not but called the... eight it's I... not called working day what was <laughs> what was that one that had a really high concept with joseph fines and it was about uh, um, flash go, forward. Flash forward. Mm. What happened in that? Exactly. I only saw the pilot of that, and I thought, well, that's moderately diverting. Well, and never it. went back. So yeah. So everyone did that. Everyone watched the pilot because it was so high concept. The idea was everyone in the world, uh, apart from a few key characters, and obviously that's the twist as it goes along. Mm. Everyone in the world blanks out. Right. Wakes up, mm. and they realise that what they dreamt was what their life was going to be in a certain period of time. I can't remember in right. a month's time a or a year's or time. Yeah, something like that. Mm. So they found out what's going to happen to them and for some people they found out that their husband or wife is dead or is gay or they've got a secret love child or they're still joseph fines um, <laughs> well some people uh, they found out they get to open a big company or whatever and then the, the, the interesting dramatic point of it is that obviously people can't cope with that information some people then kill themselves and as a result of doing that do they change the history that's going to happen oh. and so on uh, and it was a good idea right bit, bit, probably a bit overcomplicated in a way and you could just give yourself concussion and hope that you'd get mild amnesia and just forget about that rather than kill yourself. I think I'm right in saying that effectively they did the equivalent of cancelling 24 after eight episodes on that one. So it set mm. up this ridiculously high concept that could only actually be resolved after about five years worth and of the show. And they never got to the day and they itself. Never got to, no, exactly. <laughs> Although I, I don't know how it finished because everyone stopped watching after yeah. about five episodes. Although once you did get to that day, what would subsequent series do? Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, that's the issue with Homeland, isn't it? Homeland really is a one series idea. It they really stretched was. it at two, and by uh, three, you're just like, come on now. 
this is a, this is at best a four-hour idea. Stinky. Yeah. Well, listeners, that brings us to the end of Answer Me This episode two hundred and eighty-four. But for us to have things to talk about in Answer Me This two hundred and eighty-five, we need your questions. Or to read a book occasionally. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, it's probably easier for you to send us questions, yeah, yeah, and you can right. do that by email, phone, or Skype. And all of those contact details are on our website. AnswerMeThisPodcast.com, where you can also find the links to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And, and remember, if you want to buy our classic episodes, our first 170 episodes, or classic. any of our albums, yep. uh, or our apps, all of those are on our sister site, AnswerMeThisStore.com. Sibling site. Yeah, sibling site. Now you know what it's like to have a sibling, Ollie. <laughs> Finally. I had to build myself one using Squarespace. <laughs> well, Great. dreams are my reality. Wait for there to be a storm so the electricity can reanimate. <laughs> well, uh, see you next episode, listeners. Bye! Bye. Bye.